of all the interviews and podcasts we've done so far, this one might be the easiest and among the most fun. It was easy because Jimmy is such a natural storyteller and teacher. And it was fun because for a long time, he's really kind of been a hero of mine. Um, when we started YouTube, and we talk about this in this discussion a little bit, but when my dad and I started YouTube, I actually at that time was not a big YouTube watcher. I, I'd go on there from time to time when there was a problem to solve or if I was looking for something in particular, but I didn't realize people were putting regular content out. And so once I figured that out, um, Jimmy Duresta was one of the first channels that I watched and I was instantaneously almost blown away by this guy who had so many skills in his shop. He was just always picking up another tool and using it masterfully and making these really creative and beautiful things from lots of different, you know, styles and genres and crafts and trades. And, and I was, and since we were making videos at that time ourselves, I was equally impressed by the fact that he was making such great videos of it and putting them up. I really liked his style. The videos were just, they're kind of raw. You could just really tell it was a guy with a tripod in his shop showing you what he was doing and a huge fan, as you can tell. So I came into this uh, discussion with a big list of questions I wanted to ask him and I only got like a third of them off because he had so many great stories to tell and just so many uh, fun tangents to go down. So we'll save those other questions for another time. My dad's joining us on this discussion, which I really enjoyed because he and Jimmy have a whole lot in common. They both are really great at making things. They're both great teachers and they both are now um, making content on YouTube and, you know, kind of putting their name and reputation out for the whole world to view and enjoy and also pick apart. And so here's two guys on the opposite ends of the country uh, doing similar type of work. I hope you enjoy this. I, if you don't know Jimmy DeResta, he is on YouTube. He's put hundreds of videos up, um, I think up five or 600 videos, maybe more. Uh, of him making things, welding and fabrication and leather and wood and uh, plastics and 3D printing and uh, CNC machines and automotive stuff and vehicle upholstery and fabrics and uh, just a, an unbelievable amount of things. And like I said, if you go on his website, you'll see a whole other side. He's got books that he's put together and TV shows that he's been involved with. Um, this is a renaissance man. And I could not be more pleased to bring the discussion uh, to you and share it with you. There's going to be a big page of notes because we talk about and reference a lot of other interesting things. I know you're going to love this one. Let's get into it. So, Dad, I don't think I didn't tell you this, but we had a our scheduling thing threw us a curveball and Jimmy thought we were starting at for his time, which would be much more normal. Now it's oh, 10 sorry, Jim. in New sorry. York. So that's my first question. I actually like working late at night. For me, it's like my yeah. brain is finally up to speed. It, what, what's your work schedule like? Do you, is this like normal working hours or are you like staying up late for us? I notoriously sleep like four to five hours a night. And it's funny, a lot of people, because people see me answer emails and post and do various online things at the oddest hours and it's notoriously fans will send me a message and I'll, I'll hit them right back at three in the morning. Going, what are you doing up? Yeah. And, uh, uh, I, I just, I just, I just have a hard time sleeping. 
I mean, it's not something I don't, I don't like, I don't have insomnia. It's just like when I get tired, I go to sleep. I usually wake up four hours later mm, and, yeah. but I just prolong the day. I say there's two things I wish, I wish as a human being, I didn't have to sleep and I wish I didn't have to eat two things. I wouldn't, yeah. I would, if I could have three wishes, two of them would be that I never had to go to bed and that I never have to decide what to eat because just, there's wow, drugs. Just, there's <laughs> drugs that can solve both of those things. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard. Yeah. One so in particular. Methamphetamine, <laughs> yeah. Methamphetamine is real big on the West coast, man. I yeah. mean, it's headed your way. <laughs> yeah. Keep well, what's funny. That. What's funny. I was listening to you guys. I, I, I forget. Is his name Buck? The Yeah. The, uh, Bucking. Can, yeah. Bucking. I heard he said he, he quit drinking. I stopped drinking when I was 20 years old. So I basically been okay. drug free since, uh, for 35 years, 34 years. Wow. I'm going to be 35 in April. So I stopped, I stopped drinking and doing, I stopped smoking it right after that, like shortly after that cigarettes and, and anything else. I was never big on drugs in general, mostly just like yeah. recreational with like my peer group, but I never, I, I just stopped it all. So did you stop years. that? Did you stop that because you recognized it wasn't bringing anything positive or was it expensive yeah. or what, what was the driver? <laughs> no, no. I just was among my friends. I was like the most severe alcoholic. You know, everybody uh-huh. like growing up, mm. teenagers all drink alcoholically pretty much. Right. You know, especially yeah. where I'm from on Long Island. And I just realized like at the end of every night, I was the one that got the, the most drunk and did mm-hmm. the stupidest things. And so uh, there was a really there was a family incident which which sparked it all. My brother Joseph had a very bad drunk driving accident. And he stopped uh, drinking that night. He didn't get killed and he didn't kill anybody. Just just property damage. Uh, broke his leg. It took some time for him to heal. But that particular night was his last night drinking in 86. And then uh, about six months later in 87, I stopped drinking as per that eye-opening experience. It's just I did not have the same sort of bottom that he did. Right. But I, I said, before it happens to me, I, let me just try to stop. It wasn't a big declaration. I was just like, let me just see if I could stop drinking. Joey could be a support system there. And then we just, we started working together doing creative business ventures. And then we just, neither one of us ever went back to it. And you know, it was the wow. smartest decision I ever made. Yeah. Life changing, life changing. Yeah. So is, is uh, Joseph still in your part of the world back there? Is he still in New York or has he moved on somewhere? Oh yeah. I have, uh, I have two brothers and a sister. One brother lives in California, lives in LA. He's an actor, comedian, my brother, John, he's, He's older than me, and Joseph is my oldest brother, the one I was talking about. He's in Jersey. He lives in New Jersey with his wife and two kids, and he comes up here all the time. I'm on 40 acres in the country, and everybody else basically lives in the suburbs, and so people kind of use my place as a getaway. So Joey's like, hey, I'm going to come spend a couple days with you. That basically means he needs a break from his family and his wife. I'm like, come on up. You know, we've got 12 bedrooms. Pick one. Just go get lost upstairs. And um, my sister is younger than me. My sister is, uh, she's 50. I'm 54. John's 56. Joey's 50, 59. And yeah, it's hard to believe it. that we're all in our 50s now. How did it happen, man? How did it happen? That's <laughs> oh, unbelievable. I still feel it like is. a kid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel like um, a you- kid with a sore back. you've had a lot of um careers and i mean 54 years is not all that old but you the more i listen to your podcasts and watch your videos the more i'm like when did he do that when did that fit in there i know you taught and you you were a contractor of some sort for a while so maybe just get me and the listeners up to speed because um for 54 55 whatever you said that's there's kind of been a lot in there packed in there and obviously all your youtube and production and creative output of the last 10 years so maybe um fill us in yeah, well, quickly, uh, I went to high school. Uh, I graduated high school in 85. And the three 
years, the three five, the three last years of my high school, 10th, 11th, and 12th grade, I went to half the day to architecture school. In Long Island, we had a vocational thing called BOCES, and I would go to BOCES for architecture and math. And when I got out of school, I thought I was going to go straight into architecture school, but I realized it's a really long career path, 12 years of this, you know, the New York state regulations were like beyond what would keep my interest level up. And I, while I was in high school, I started meeting and studying more about artists and, and people like Salvador Dali and all these kind of, and that, that really started to attract me more. And I started thinking that, you know, if I, if I ever became a famous artist, I could always just come up with any imagery as far as design and I could hire an engineer that has the architect mm -hmm. stamp to do the, the hard part. I can do the fun part. I realized that early on. And so I decided to take a break right after high school. All the while I, in high school, I started working at sign shops. I worked at two sign shops. Mm. I was always good on the band. So ever since I was a little kid, I grew up with my dad in a shop using the band. So cutting out letters. And so when I was in high school, I would be the bandsaw operator at two shops. And this is way before CNCs are affordable. And so I would just sit at the, the bandsaw with a stack of letters that the art shop would prepare for me. And I would just literally bandsaw plastic letters out all day long on mostly uh, after school and on weekends for sure. All day wow. Saturday at Sunny Sign Shop in Merrick, Long Island. I would just sit there at the bandsaw just cutting out letters all day long. And, huh. uh, you know, that's kind of how I developed my confidence on the bandsaw. Yeah, that's and, uh, your home port advantage in your shop. Like that's where you're really like. <laughs> yeah, got the, the I love hand, the bandsaw. Yeah. It's really fun. I, I, it's funny. I usually solve all my problems on the bandsaw. <laughs> Interesting. My phone is charging. Yeah, and uh, so after high school, I took a year off, then I ended up going to art school at the recommendation of a couple of friends that had gone to the same school. Uh, one older person who was a, we're still friends. She was a kind of a mentor of mine when I was young. I worked for her, and she was uh, my friend Debbie. She would she would always say to me, she's like. You're more than just like this Long Island kid that drinks in the schoolyard. You're you're an artist. You really need to like figure that out. And she would say that to me. And you know, she saw she saw early on when I was about 15, 16 that I had a drinking problem. And she reminded me of that in a in a subtle way. She was about 15 years older than me, and I was working for her as a bandsaw operator. She would drop off a pile of plastic and all these name name party favors, and I would bandsaw them all out, and then she would come pick them up. Real 80s looking stuff. And uh, she would say to me, you know, you should consider going to the School of Visual Arts. That's where I went. And so when it came time to go to school, I was like, well, three people told me about the School of Visual Arts. Let me go there. And so I walked in there one day and I was like, how can I get to come here? And they're like, well, did you ever take an SAT class? I said, I did, but I did horrible on it. And they're like, well, maybe that's not as important as, you know, what's your acumen for art? And, you know, they, they do this kind of, they feign this, this, mm -hmm. uh, situation where they interview you but you know as i became older and realized they just they just want to see you serious how serious you mm -hmm. are they pretty much let anybody in <laughs> but they uh so i started going to the school of visual arts in 1985 as a as a night class and then i began uh, to be a full-time student in 86 graduated in 90 with a degree in bachelor of fine arts and i started my final year at school i ended up working uh with a one of my teachers designing toys he really encouraged me he's like you have a real inventor mind you you have a really good mind for keep coming up so i, I graduated as a 3d illustrator but when mm -hmm. i took his class in my final few semesters my final few months he said y you really are an inventor you should nurture that and he really nurtured that my friend mark we're still friends mm -hmm. so you know i always tell people when they think about even I have students, so I ended up teaching for 23 years at the same school. But when I would have teachers, when I would, excuse me, when I would have students that would say, 
I'm thinking about getting out of school. I'm not really catching a groove. I said, you know, what you really need to stay in school for is the people you meet. Uh-huh. Is almost it's almost like 60-40. The people you meet and the relationships you make, 60% important, 40% is the education you're getting. You yeah, know, because the people the people you meet are the people that are gonna they're gonna carry you, they're gonna carry you to, you know, what your interests are. The, yeah. You're gonna develop those friendships with the people that are gonna like help you define who you are as a person and who you are as an artist, especially in art school, who you yeah. are as, you know, whatever it is you're gonna become, you know, when you're in that environment of school. So, and yeah, uh, anyway, it's pretty fascinating. <clears throat> Mark was one of those to me. Um, and uh, so my phone's going to ring in a minute. Someone's looking for me. <laughs> and uh, so uh, anyway, I started doing toy design and I stayed in the toy business until around uh, 2010. Designing toy, toy, de- toys. toy design, toy design for your own production or toy design for, uh, for other entities uh a variety uh i worked mm-hmm. as a basically a free agent designing developing toys and engineering injection molding cut and sew heat seal vinyl toys uh for variety of people and um then our, somewhere along the way we started our own small toy company which didn't really take off in a big way and when we ended up selling it because somebody wanted a couple of the products in the lineup we sold the company and we were able to kind of recoup our investment. So we, we at the end of three years, I had the best education you could possibly get, and I broke even. Yeah. So it was <laughs> kind of one of those things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, education's expensive, right? It's always oh, expensive. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's always expensive. Yeah. 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 Most people, the education, they're like $100,000 these days, $100,000 in yeah. debt. <laughs> and yeah. so yeah. Uh, the fact that you learned a lot and broke even is a wild success by, uh, yeah. by, yeah. by, no, by but honestly, standards. you know, I, I've been learning all along, like the entire way. Yeah. And then yeah. along the way, my brother, who's an actor and a comedian, he pulled me into this TV concept in 2002. He's like, hey, do you want to come to L.A.? Because I had just started playing around with shooting video. I'd always been shooting video, but I never really edited it. So I'd always been like as soon as like the first like uh, eight millimeter VHS. Well, really, the VHS one came out where you could pop it into something. In 1986 or 87, I bought my first VHS camera where the camera tape pops into another bigger tape and then goes and like presents it to the front of the thing. Yeah. So you could pop it into regular VHS. Yeah. Those so, were expensive then. Those cost money then, man. Yeah. I took a loan out, which is so yeah, funny. I took a loan out of the credit union for like $1,200 yeah. to buy that. It was before I even had any credit card. My dad got me the loan at the credit union of the Knights of Columbus. And uh, wow. I bought that VHS machine and then I got super eight. And so I was kept shooting all this video of just friends and family and then in 2002, Final Cut Pro became available. And I was teaching at the School of Visual Arts. I was teaching three-dimensional design. And my students were always keeping me young. They were, one particular student was always giving me hacked uh, programs. So he got me Final Cut Pro, taught me how to use it. And uh, so I started making these little short videos. And my brother's like, come out to LA. I have this concept. I want you to shoot a short of me doing this concept where we pick garbage and make it into stuff. But it, during the, I was just shooting him. I was just trying to be a producer on this concept. So I shot and edited this little clip. And when we brought it in and we got interested at a Fox network, my brother had agents at the time that, you know, opened the door for him. And uh, we got a meeting with Fox. And in the meeting, the guy looks at me, he's like, what is your part of all this? I said, well, I'm the guy that's going to be behind the scenes thinking of all the ideas. My brother's the comedian actor. And he steps back and he goes, this is, I've told this story a hundred times. He, he steps back and goes, 
well, you're the brother that can make stuff and you're the brother that's funny. Why don't you just be the brother that makes stuff in, on camera and you be the guy that, that, that makes stuff funny? You okay with that? And like I said, I'm okay. I said to John, I go, you okay? He goes, yeah, I don't have to pretend to be making stuff because it's not what I want to do. And so we shot a pilot. He goes, let's shoot a pilot, see how it looks. He like looked at me and goes, you okay to be on camera? I'm like, uh, yeah. It wasn't even at all what the intention was to go into that meeting, which was so funny. It's like one of those moments in life where you look back and you go, wow, I didn't, it's not at all what I wanted out of life, but I'll do it. Yeah. And so we we started this little duo, this on camera duo, which we ended up shooting all the while. I was always still in the toy business because you do a television show and it's like literally like you go into this time capsule for three months and then it's over. Mm-hmm. And you think like you're in a career, but it just literally abruptly ends when the schedule ends and that's it. Yeah. And it's like you just spit out the back of the conveyor belt. And it's like, yeah. OK, yeah. go back to your life. Nobody cares about what you just did. Yeah. You know, and so you see these these actors like you know these successful actors and they're like between projects they're all literally between projects so there's like nothing to do until something else comes along if you're not creating your own if you're not creating your own world yeah yeah it doesn't feel like that though i I know some of those actors in between things it can really feel like any even a contractor between jobs like you you do wonder like is another one gonna gonna come it's not always like you know a guarantee and i'm sure uh, no i mean i've lived a life I've, I've lived the life of the freelancer. Even when I was in the toy business, I, I always was trying to develop several streams of income. I worked for a company full-time. I should re-say that. I worked for a company part-time, but they had me on the books as full-time so I can get medical, so they could give me full medical. So I had full medical coverage from them, even though they, they – they, I'm very lucky. I'm very fortunate in my life that people saw in me what I almost didn't even see in myself at the time. They're like – you're, you're an artist. There's no reason for you to sit at a desk all day long. Just do what you do. Come in. Let's have a meeting maybe three times a week. Come into the office. But in the meantime, go to your shop, play around, tinker, come up with ideas, nurture the ideas we have. Whatever idea you come up with, bring to us if you think it's for us. If it's not for us, well, you could just give it to whoever else you want to work with. And so that was a company called Natural Science Industries. So I started working with them in 91, 92. And I stayed friends with them even till till now, like I'm working with Walmart, I still call my friend Andy, who owned that company. He's retired now, but uh, I would call. I still call Andy for advice. He's a great guy, you know. So I've been lucky. I met some really wonderful people that saw in me, you know, what what I would become before I knew where I would become. You know, kind of like a free, just like a free agent artist that yeah. is free to tinker, think of things on my own, not constrained. You know, not constrained to any sort of corporate identity. So what you're describing that I'd never really thought of. So, you know, Nate mentioned a contractor. A contractor is a hunter-gatherer, right? You go out, you find something, you you go out and you find it and you kill it and you drag it home and you eat it and you go out the next day and look for something to kill. And I had never really thought of artists in the same way, that you're always hunting and gathering and hunting and gathering with no residual. You're never planting seeds and harvesting a crop, you know, in 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 the fall. You are depending, you're living by your wits moment by moment. And- so the, I kind of, I kind of have a question for both of you guys because Nate's lived that life too. Um, the people who don't have that experience, who never have that hunter gatherer experience, and the insecurity of working without a net, where do they, where does their rush come from in life, and where does their, uh, how do they, <laughs> how, how do they avoid becoming completely risk adverse? And they go how, skiing. How they, they, yeah, they, yeah, they, they, they take extreme sports, right? They make they Alex Arnold, they make a, rock, a free a free solo rock climber their their idol. But I mean, there's exactly. a thing that you can only learn living by your wits, right? 
Yeah, you know, it's funny. I'm I because of the life I've led, I'm I'm basically fearless. And and of course I have fears. I don't want to hurt myself. I've hurt myself on tools. I don't want to do that again. You know, I've I've gone completely broke twice, but I never went I never went bankrupt. Uh, you know, I've gotten to the point where like my electric bill, let's say my electric bill is 150 bucks. I'm like, you know what? They'll be happy with 50 bucks. They can't shut my electric <laughs> off because I'm showing some initiative, you know, yeah. and, and I've been there several times. And so that makes mm-hmm. you fearless, it, especially just being at my age. I'm, uh, you know, I'm in my fifties and I've been through so much and it's always been, you know, favoring positive. Like I had moments where I injured my hand. I cut my pinky off, which is another classic Duresta story where I cut my pinky off on a table saw and they sewed it back on. They cut it. It cut nearly like 90% through. So it was just hanging into my hand and they mm-hmm. sewed it back on, you know, so I've had some really high highs and some low lows, but it's always, it's like the stock market. It always slowly, like if you look at <laughs> my the trend, uh, yeah. the, the trend, trend. Is, it always trends up. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I keep a very positive attitude. Uh, you know, any any setback is only ever going to be temporary, and it's, and, and it's and it's trending up because you knocked off alcohol when you were a kid. I think right? it's a huge part of it. You know, yeah, it, yeah. It, it, it'd be trending huge, the other way. It's never been a factor, you know, in my adult yeah. life. Drugs, yeah. alcohol. You know, I don't have to worry about you know lung cancer because I stopped smoking when I was a kid. You know, mm-hmm. it's just all the 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 vices that that we all put on ourselves and you know not to say i friends and family drink socially they're totally fine you know i just it wasn't for me it wasn't for me that i just didn't have that life and you know so i was like you know what i i I live this life of extremes where it's like i have to know everything about it or i can't know anything about it it's Mm, like you know the same thing with you know i have a very addictive personality when it comes to food alcohol skills you know it's like i have to know everything about it or i just i ignore it until i know everything about it and then Um, about, um, other people that I, I've felt this way and I get along with these people. Great. But people, let's say even like a police officer or a teacher, someone who has a wildly different career and outlook. Um, sometimes I even feel like I'm, it's almost like you're not the same species anymore because they are terrified when I tell them about my life or business, like, Oh, I don't know what I'm going to do next. Like when I got out of flipping houses and these people were like shaking in their boots for me, like, Oh, you got kids, you got, your wife doesn't work. (laughs) What? They were like so terrified. And I was kind of like, I, I'm going to be fine. And I was, your analogy of <laughs> yeah. a hunter is, is good when a skilled yeah. hunter has those yeah. skills. It's like if the, if the elk herd moves on, they'll kill rabbits yeah. or yeah. something yeah. else. And, and yeah. they, they, they can have some confidence in those skills even. And, and if you don't have that, that, those skills, it's really hard to visualize what it would feel like to have yeah. them. So I, I don't know. I think there is something to that after years of of, of being in a, in a type of mindset, you kind of are, it's like anything you're, you're less afraid, afraid of it. You know, when you experience yeah. something, the fear kind of goes away. And so I'm sure all of us, if, if YouTube got deleted from the internet tomorrow, I don't think any of us would really lose much sleep because we'd figure yeah. something out, even though right you know now it's, it's coming, part you of know, something, yeah. something like that's coming, yeah. whether it's YouTube yeah. gets canceled or you yeah, know, it's inevitable. Some big it, server it, it, somewhere gets hit by a missile, who knows what could possibly happen, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Anything, yeah, for sure. But, um, it's funny. I, I, and I know you guys met with Eric. I know Nate, you met with Eric, uh, hand to rescue. He sends yeah. me a message one day. He goes, all my videos are gone. And he's so whoa. deadpan. I'm like, Whoa, what's going on? He goes, <laughs> and I looked and I was like, they're showing up for me. He goes, Oh, my whole channel's deleted. He goes, maybe you like re- reload your server. Anyway, it was a panic. For, I was panicked for him. Cause like, cause yeah. this could happen to anybody. You know, a few hours later, he said they they recovered it all. He said it was just a glitch in the system. But you know, you wow, get confronted with that, so. and you're just like, 
whew, you know, it's that like is scary. It's scary. Yeah. But uh, one um, thing I wanted to remind you guys, or just you reminded me to, 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 I left out a little piece of my career in, in and around. So the TV shows came and come and go and, you know, you can't really count on them. I realized early on, you can't, I did like five TV shows with my brother, which is a lot because none of them were ever big successes. They were all just like, wow, this could be the one. And then it went away and then it wasn't the one. And then I go right back to what it was de- designing and developing toys. But we ended up doing a show uh, called Hammered on HGTV and right after I did that show, a friend of mine got a job with an interior designer and she's like, Hey, can you build this cabinet for us? And I was like, I, I guess so. I never really built any finished furniture for anybody but myself. And I was never like a finish, finished carpenter or finished, mm-hmm. finished craftsman. I would make like my mm-hmm. set of self, self, a set of shelves out of plywood and nail it together and mm-hmm. put all my tools mm-hmm. on it, <clears throat> built some furniture for my own self. But now working for this interior designer, this friend of mine, again, a lot of people saw in me, more than I saw myself. She's like, you could build this. This guy just wants a cabinet. The budget's $7,000. You could build that. I'm like, you can do that. $7,000. That's <laughs> tell me more. In my, you know, in, like I learned early on too, like, don't say what you think it's worth. Just wait for them <laughs> yeah. to tell you. And you yeah, could man. say, yeah, I could do that. Or you just go, you know what? I, that's, just, that's, that's a lot less than, than I, than I need. You know, if they say it's the budget's only a thousand, can you do it? I was like, yeah, no, no, I'm sorry. I can't do it. You just say respectfully, I can't do it. It's, it's it's not worth my time, and then when they go seven thousand dollars, and in your mind, you know it's like two days worth of work. You go, yeah, I, I think I, I think I could do that. Yeah, I'll make it work. I'll make it work. All right, cool. Yeah. And so that was my first interior design project. I built this like wall hanging credenza with three drawer four, three drawers, one, two, three, in middle, left, and right that holds the remote controls and some VHS tapes and whatever it was. I was like CDs. I was like, yeah, yeah, I can make that. And uh, I was. And I began doing it in around 2005, designing toys, pitching shows occasionally, and uh, doing interior design. And that's really like just under fire. Hey, can you build this headboard out of a big giant piece of ragged rag edge slab, you know, live edge slab? Yeah, sure. No problem. Can you build this? Dr-? And then I just on the fly, just started learning how to build cabinets and you know, just started looking at, I, I always say the best way to learn how to do something is just to go look in a dumpster and see if you happen in New York City, you could see everything you want in a dumpster. Uh, <laughs> and you could just look at a cabinet and just like rip the door off. Oh, okay. They're using those style hinges. Okay. That's an overlay hinge. Oh no, that's an inset hinge. Let me see this cabinet slot. You know, so you look at like ripped up construction sites and you start mm-hmm. seeing the interior of how things get made and you, you make a mental note and you go home and you like get a gig to do something similar and you go, okay, I can remember that time I saw that cabinet. Mm-hmm. Let me, you know, you make a mental note. And then that's really why I began just like on the job training, learning how to do more interior stuff. And so many times when people are like, can you build a this? And it's like, yeah, sure. I could build it. And this wasn't even, this was before YouTube was a thing. I just right, like, I'll yeah, figure it out. Yeah. I'll figure it yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah. And, the, uh, the, you know, under fire, great, you learn. The other great, great way to learn how to do things is to start doing it. And by the time yeah. you've done, by the time you've done it, you know, you're pretty good at it. And the next yeah. time one comes around, you're going to have the confidence that not only can you uh, approach it, but you have a pretty good idea how it's going to turn out. And so that's, yeah. I mean, these, these things accumulate, right? And then I start, you start to realize when you do these things for the first time, you typically over-engineer and overbuild them just because you're nervous and you're a little insecure and you want to make sure you don't get a call back. Sure. You know, you know. Do you have a cut and dried, like, I'll say priority in your mind over whether the video content or the project takes 
priority? In other words, is the camera well, along two, for the ride or is the content, is it's a project along for the that's ride? That's a good question. There is, there's two types of videos that I make. There's videos that I make where I'm just kind of inspiring people um, and I'm satisfying the ad client for the video. Like for instance, like I just did these wallets for Carolina Shoes. My last video, which I posted on Saturday, I made these wallets and I'm satisfying Weaver Leather as my client. Mm-hmm. And they just want to see people using their materials. Carolina Shoes just wants to see their brand. And I just want to show something fun and interesting for the people that watch that can go home and say, I could try that. I could share the, mm-hmm. the cut files that I made the little stamps with or whatever. And so that's like just straight up edutainment. And mm-hmm. and then at the end of it, I get 25 wallets that Carolina Shoes can give away as a as an incentive to you know follow them along or use their, their discount code. And I get paid by everybody you know that's fun Mm -hmm. and then there's a type of video where i'm making this travel trailer for this wine client and then that's really the product has to be on the money i I have to satisfy what they need all the various uh, aspects of what they expect i have to make sure it's engineered well i have to make sure it's roadworthy i have to make sure that the electric works i have to make sure it doesn't go on fire especially while it's still inside (laughs) my shop i have to make sure (laughs) that the drain works i have to you know and i'm constantly going to youtube and my girlfriend taylor was a big help on that because she loves to research i i literally tear open a box and just start assembling something meanwhile (laughs) she's in the corner reading the instructions or looking at a youtube video on it and i'm like i got this figured out you know so (laughs) she was a big help on keeping me from you know, jumping ahead. And then my friend, then you just run the camera while you're doing that, like on that project, because it's along for the ride. Yeah. Yeah. But then also, you know, I'm also trying to the entire time, no matter what movie I'm making, I'm just looking for the good angles, the interesting, try to make it visually interesting. Uh, You know, what processes would look good sped up, you know, it's nice to see, you know, a 30 minute process jammed into like 15 seconds, because you could see the transformation of the material, you know, so I'm always like, that's just, it's, I've done so many videos, I've done over 600 videos that, in my mind is always just looking for that. And it's not even, it's not like a lot of people think, Oh, that's going to be an inconvenience to shoot. Isn't it? I'm like, not really. I'm just, it's just part of my lexicon. Yeah. Now. It's not even a big deal. What, so what, I have what a are, problem. Oh, let's go, go ahead. ahead. Nate. Sorry. Oh no, no, you, you jump in dad. Then I'll do clean. So up. I, I have, I have a, a, a bigger than medium sized problem. If it's a project that is time sensitive or where I really have to be figuring stuff out, or if there's an element of danger or risk, you know, if I'm yep. lifting or swinging or something, I have a real problem splitting my attention between that creative, structural, engineering, production process and the stupid camera. You know, well, it, just, that's it, funny. It, 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 it just melts my brain right out of my head, you know? Well, that's and why I, a lot of times I'll just jump to it like a time lapse because then I yeah. just know that I've at least captured the event. Yeah. And, and, and I don't. And another thing I do, which maybe you could start doing if you have somebody standing around, even if it's a delivery guy. I say, here, hold this camera and point it that way. Have fun. Yeah. <laughs> Just don't move it too much. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> the other day I got I got a 4,000-pound uh, bending brake delivered and uh, a, a, another like 2,000-pound metal shear delivered. And it was cold out. The truck driver is a friend of mine. I wanted. I didn't want him standing around forever. We hooked up chains. We unhooked it. And I, my buddy Patrick, who's like, I feel useless. I'm like, you're not useless. Hold this camera. Just film this whole event. You know, we, we, if anything goes wrong, I want it on camera because I want to see what we did wrong. I also, it's could be exciting. could be, you know, I just don't want to see anybody getting hurt. Nothing went wrong. Everything went smoothly, but I have this, I have this event now on camera and I, the entire time I just focused on not tipping over the forklift, mm-hmm. not picking up in the wrong spot, you know, making sure the chip, the chain popped, the thing was close to the ground when it popped, you know, as soon as I got the truck off, we lowered it right to the ground, 
case of the because we were lifting four thousand plus pounds at the tip of the forks because we had to get it off the bed of the truck and and I literally felt the wheels like coming up slightly coming up and yeah. I was like oh as soon as I just went right <laughs> yeah. to the ground you know then I realized we were safe but the whole time I wasn't worried about the camera because I just handed it to Patrick and I said yeah. just I said just keep it steady. Yeah. Don't, you're not like filming a cockfight. Just keep everything. So I tell mm-hmm. people. When I had you a started, this morning. Go ahead, go ahead Nate. Oh, sorry. when we started, I mean, I thought of the camera for a long time as like, like maybe like a paint roller or something. Where it's like, as long as it's pointing that direction, I'm good and that's fine. Yeah. And and what I would do a lot of times would be like pan the camera across really quickly, thinking I was like just getting it all real quick. And then I, in editing, I'd be like, oh, why didn't I slow down? Da, da, da. Yeah. Anyways, I, I heard you say um, you'd be thinking about interesting angles on it. So I remember when that kind of, when I started thinking more that way, like, oh, this looks fine, but it would look a lot better if it was, I don't know, up closer. So what are, what are, what are the interesting like shots that you're looking for? Even if it's you something could, sped up. Most people don't notice this, but there are a lot of times in my shots where there's a camera right in scene and I'm shooting with another camera. So I have the choice. I could choose this GoPro angle mm-hmm. right here that's right up underneath, or I could choose the the SLR camera, the digital SLR, which is capturing kind of more of like the crispy. Because mm-hmm. these go, I use a lot of the GoPros, but you can't really count on the footage that much. Yeah. Uh, there are full videos that I shoot with the GoPro or the DJI, mm-hmm. but the, the footage is always a little crunchy. It's not great, especially when you shoot in interior lighting. Those cameras yeah. always are really designed to work better in the sunlight. Um, so I will shoot if I have the time, if it's not an event, Scott, like you were talking about where, you know, you really got to focus on the work at hand because it's either dangerous or because it's time, you know, it's timely. Mm Um, I'll, with the digital SLR, I'll shoot wide and I'll just take a one second break, just refocus the camera and then keep working. And then mm. if it's still going long, take another refocus of the camera. Just I just literally just move the tripod. And in mm. some cases, I leave the tripod move in almost like as a transition. But if I cut it out, it, it just immediately looks like another camera angle. So much so that we shot a television show for Discovery Channel and the producer of that show, my friend Ronnie, Right. Like when I first started doing YouTube right after my project with Ronnie in 2010, he was like, everybody be like, oh, how is how's YouTube going, Mr. YouTube? Like, you know, everybody kind of <laughs> thought it was like less than TV. Right. And a lot of people still do. And uh, Ronnie calls me one day. He's like, can I ask you a question? I go, yeah. He goes, how many people work for you? I go, what are you talking about? I go, nobody works for me. I work for myself. He goes, how many cameras do you shoot with? I go, I usually shoot with one once in a long while. I use a two, like a GoPro as a second backup. Just it was more of like a establishing wide he goes but i just watched this thing like you you the camera switched six times i go that was the same five minutes i just moved the camera five times <laughs> he goes it looks like you're doing like a five camera shoot i'm like yeah it's a tripod <laughs> it's a tripod and i moved the tripod four times so i fooled a seasoned discovery cool. history tlc channel guy that mm, that's you cool. know just by simply moving my tripod and also not only do I move the tripod, I drop the head down, you know, I mm-hmm. fold the legs. I'm constantly like snapping and unsnapping the legs. Like I always have mm-hmm. blood blisters in my fingers from those like little snaps Pinch. on the tripod yeah. pinches. Yeah. 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 Huh. That's neat. Yeah. Um, yeah. When we started uh, really making videos online, it's by 2017. And, and to this day, you're still like the king in this space and at the time you were also and i remember thinking uh 
I think that was right around the time you were building your new shop, or at least talking about it. In fact, I think yeah, the first we started I, we started October seventeenth with uh, Kyle. Yeah, yeah. and and I, we had watched you like the last. We started in two thousand sixteen, I think, but I think somewhere along the line you said like I think we're going to build a shop. And anyways, um, it's been a little while now. And uh, if you were doing that shop over now, you're like well settled in. Would you do it different, or, or what's the final verdict on? No, on the you shop know, now that you're I settled? love it. I love it. It's perfect. It's perfect. I do have a space for a second floor, which we will eventually put in. But uh, we just established the whole interior of this place on this television show that we shot for Netflix, which we, which is going to be airing March or April. And so as soon as they say that they're not picking up a second season, I'm going to put the second floor in. We kind yeah. of established the room in this. So if they do a second season, we want to kind of keep it the same. And I'm in no rush to spend another $40,000 for a second floor, you know, for electric <laughs> not just second. Are you yeah. gonna are you gonna leave that thing clear span? Are you gonna span that second floor across that whole monster? Or are you gonna put some posts out there and break up your space? No, 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 clear span, clear span. They okay. think that they're like twelve inches on center. These crazy clear okay. span open web okay. joists that my uh, architect found, okay. and I I wish I could remember the name, but they're two by fours on the top runner and two by fours on the bottom runner with like bent pipe with like crimped yeah, yeah. pipe. Like you bar joists. Yeah. So, some guy called, they're, they're often called bar joists around here. Uh-huh. So, how, yeah. so how much of a span is that? Is that 40 feet across there? 40 feet and the room's 70. So it's 40 yeah. by 72, but we would only go up uh, 50. So it would be 40 by 50. So it would have a yeah. big, uh, like a cathedral at one end. Yeah, cool. that's a long span, man. That's yeah, that would be span. fun. Yeah, it'll be bouncy. But, you know, we would kind of do right. more like leather work and stuff up there. We wouldn't put yeah. any machines yeah. up there. Yeah. It would be like more like hangout, living rooms, digital space. Like my like my office right now is one of the bedrooms in the house. I would move this out there. And sure, it's also yeah. well heated. So right now that it's 10 degrees out, yeah. we, we find ourselves spending all of our time down there. And what I learned, which is – as and you guys know this – which is as important as where you place the building, what you do, how you make it, is the site work. Getting yeah. to it, yeah. making yeah. sure – because I did this – kind of like bat cave through the woods to get to it because I don't want it to be yeah. visible from the street. Mm-hmm. I don't want people pulling. Everybody has to pull in. They have to back out. They all curse me the whole time. They're always yeah. backing into the mud and getting stuck off the edge of the road. And they're like, why don't you have a turnaround? I'm like, because I don't want anybody coming down here. I can back <laughs> out by just looking at my mirrors. Nobody else can. Everyone seems to have yeah. their head on backwards and they still go in the mud. Yeah. And my my buddy Patrick, who you guys should have on, he's a great electrician. Uh, he's got great stories. Patrick, who did all the electrical work, he still curses me all the time backing yeah. down the driveway because he's always you know, like, why don't we just cut straight through there, get rid of that tree line? I'm like, dude, I don't want anybody nope. seeing this from the street. We don't I don't want anybody. Watching, I remember watching Kyle threading the trusses back in that road, and I thought, yeah, that's tough access. You know, I've got a chainsaw. Yeah. I would get some of that wood out of there and make a road. <laughs> Well, the, the 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 ash beetle is taking care of that. So I've oh, lost, I see. I've lost probably right. twenty trees going down that road because of the ash beetle. Darn so it. and a lot of them Darn are still standing. I got to cut them down. But yeah. Uh, yeah, no, it's 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 tragic what's going on. There's so many dead trees in my woods because of the ash yeah. beetle. That's a wow. Um, you guys yeah. are on the same wavelength there, Dad. You want to update? I guess everybody. It's a spoiler alert. But what you've been doing in your shop? Yeah, I've I've uh, been digging into my shop, kind of solo routine. I, uh, my wood shop, I've got a beautiful old table saw showing up. Okay. So I, 
Are you familiar with Dave Engels, Engels Coat Shop in Montana, Joliet, Montana? He's the guy that built the Borax Wagons traditional. It's, yes, 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 yeah. yes. He's got a couple of videos where he's making wagon wheels and stuff. He, yeah. he's, he's got a lot of videos and he's terrific. He's authentic. I mean, he, he's a wheelwright. He's a wagon builder. He's a blacksmith. Yeah. He does the upholstery. He does the pinstriping. You guys, yeah. you guys would have a lot to say to each other. Um, yeah, I've seen so, his videos. Yeah, so I stopped in at his shop last uh, August or September, Kelly and I were in the Rockies. And the first thing in his shop, he's got this 1908 Faye and Egan table saw, 16 oh, inch, t- 16 inch table saw, right? Okay. Big old table saw dual Arbor. It's got, it swings two 16 inch blades and you can crank one up and they're in the same plane. You can crank one up and it starts spinning. If you want to course a, a rough cut, you know, for ripping. And then yeah. you can crank, you can crank a finished saw right up in the same slot, same no table. No kidding. It's got a sliding table on one side. It's just a beautiful old 2,700 pound table saw, right? Wow. So I, I just made a big deal out of that when I was touring his shop. He's just a generous, gracious, uh, just, just a great guy, right? So he walked me through his shop and uh, we uploaded the video. And two days later comes an email from the tip just way up in Maine. Okay. I'm going to leave the place unmentioned, but right. a guy says, Hey, I work at a, at a college up here and we've got the sister saw. Do you want no, it? Kid. And no, I said, <laughs> I love it. my arm, you know, I so I, that saw is now in Oregon. It's going to be delivered to my shop day after tomorrow. So Fantastic. I have the corner of my shop. It's been pretty rough, man, that, ha- that I've been doing my contracting woodwork, just rough work out there. I'm upgrading, I'm enclosing, I'm making it heatable. I cut a post out of my pole barn and I put a couple big beams in there to, to reestablish the bearing condition. And so we're doing a massive overhaul to create a real wood shop and going to have that beautiful old saw as a centerpiece, which leads me to a question about bandsaws. I want to get a, a pretty good sized bandsaw, pretty deep, yeah. deep throat on a bandsaw that'll swing yeah. a pretty wide blade because I want to resaw some stuff. I want to be able sure. to swing some big stuff in there and resaw. And I don't think I want to buy anything brand new, but I could. No, get, what no, do you recommend? No. What, should, what should I be looking for? I have three American woodworking machine bandsaws made. American. Made, American sawmill, American woodworking right on. American woodworking American woodworking machine tools, I think is the name okay. of the company. I have three okay. of them. They are incredible. And you want to get one that's the heavy duty one. It has the full cast base bottom. I'll send you pictures. I have two of them. Great. And that's the third great. one I have is like the so-called light duty one. It still weighs two you know, 1,500, 2,000 pounds. Right. The, the heavy duty ones have full cast iron doors at the bottom and the whole base, you know, where a bandsaw would come to like kind of like an hourglass shape at the bottom and then splay out to the legs on the floor. Right. The heavy duty American woodworking tool machine bases, literally just a big skirt of cast iron that goes straight to the ground. That's mm. what we need. Yeah. And, and, and how, how big is Tanowitz? There's Tanowitz. Like once you get into the 36 inch category, there's Tanowitz, there's, there's, uh, you know, there's lots to choose from. There's so many off brands that you never even heard of. And right. by the way, uh, you talk about Faye and Egan. I don't know if you guys have been following along with uh, uh, Keith Rucker. He's he's restoring my 48 inch Faye and Egan bandsaw right now that he found for me. Oh my! Oh, oh my! Wow! I don't know if you guys saw this story. You got to go look. See that? No, that's he. He <clears throat> so, did the guy for it too. That's cool. Yeah. Shout out to Keith Rucker. So he's got. Yeah. I think he's up to like episode 14. So go oh, back yeah. like six months. I get a message from somebody on. Check out Keith Rucker. He's got. He, he, he found these crazy bandsaws. So these two bandsaws, they're forty-eight inch Whoa. wheels. Whoa. They apparently, from what he says it a little bit in the first video, episode one, he thinks they belong to a a train coach builder 
at the turn oh, of the okay. century, somewhere in Georgia. He kind of has a vague uh, recollection of where the, the train yard would have been. And somewhere in and around the 50s, these two saws will move to this guy's shop huh. where they've been all this time. <clears throat> Excuse me. And now that shop is completely in disarray. The land's been sold. The building's getting knocked down. All the machines, have, you know, the roof seems like it has caved in. And uh, the guy who's getting rid of all this material, I call Keith. I said, Keith, are these saws available? He goes, well, somebody's apparently in line to buy them. And he goes, but they're complicated. If you can't get them, I'll, I'll let you know. Sure enough, within a day, I get a call. You're up. They're, you're up if you want them. I call the owner. I'm like, what do you want? He goes, 500 bucks. I said, all right, I'll pay PayPal you 500 bucks for both of them. I said, I have no idea how I'm going to get them. But, you know, this goes back and, you know, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back, but it's like being fearless. Like mm-hmm. when I was going through this process, I didn't share it with anybody because anybody, how are you going to get them? It's going to be expensive. Mm-hmm. It's going to be this. It's going to be that. I don't know. We'll figure that out. That, you know, this mm-hmm. is just, where in the world are you going to see two 48 inch wide yeah. bandsaws? Yeah, they just don't know. exist. I didn't even know they existed. Yeah. They're so big, the wheel goes in the ground. Like yeah, the, yeah. the bottom yeah. wheel goes between the feet into the ground that you have to cut a niche for. And uh, so then Keith calls me and he's like, hey, I, I, I said, I'll, I said, Keith, I'll figure out something. I'll find a rigger. I'll just open it up to the fans. Someone's going to help me. I'll, I'll find help somewhere. And he goes, hey, I goes, I can probably get him for you. I was like, well, that's up to you. I said, I don't want to put you out. I'll pay you for your time. He goes, eh, we'll figure it out. He goes, it's close to my shop. So. Long story short, he gets them back to his shop with the help of some other guy. And he's like, yeah, they're here now. He goes, um, I, I go, all right, I'll start figuring out arrangements. And he calls me a couple of days later. He's like, hey, I got, I got a proposition for you. I go, what? He goes, now that this is sitting here and I'm just staring at it, he goes, would you let me restore the – because one of them is real disrepair. One of them is missing parts. One of them was complete. He goes, would you let me restore this? He goes, I- I'll do it. And I said, of course. He goes, because I think I can get – a lot of views and he goes, and, I, and it's a beautiful machine. And he goes, I just want to kind of get some attention for the channel. And I said, hundred yeah. percent. I said, I, of course I would restore it if it was here, but I wouldn't put the energy that Keith could put into oh. it because oh, he'll he's make such a giant a, man. I'll just, I'll just like literally just like, you know, as a metaphor, I'd spray some starter fluid and get the old gas out. And if it starts turning, yeah. I'd put a blade on it. That's how I would restore it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I put it immediately. Amen. I love, I love Amen. having machines that are rusty, but, I mean, who doesn't want a beautifully restored machine by Keith Rucker? Oh, and so yeah, yeah. Keith is on episode 14 now. He just poured uh, the bottom uh, babbit for the bottom casting, and he's going to do the top babbit, he said, which is another more complicated process. More complicated, so, yeah. So once it becomes finished and you know we figure out how to get it up here, uh, it, it will be the centerpiece of this back barn shop. Yeah. Uh, I was thinking about – did you guys ever see the video from uh, uh, the guys that build wooden boats out in – uh, Sam- Nantucket. Samson boat. Oh, no, oh. not Samson. No, Samson, of course, is amazing. Um, Lou? Is it, Lou? There's a uh, video called Charlotte, and it's about this old wooden boat that was made. And anyway, I visited uh, Nate Gannon, is the, the boat builder. I visited Nate's shop with Nick Offerman about six years ago, and Nate had a big giant bandsaw. He goes, we had nowhere to put it, so we just put a we just built a roof over it. It's outside. Mm. <laughs> not yeah. that I want this tool to be outside. I might just build a full-on, like, woodmill shed for it you know bigger yeah. big enough so that rain and snow won't hit it directly but as long as i sure. maintain it and keep it uh, oiled up and stuff so sure. that's a possibility too i might build an outside shed for it so it's just right outside the shop so yeah. i could pass big big and i don't have to worry too much about uh dust removal because i'll just let it go on the ground yeah. 
That's so, amazing. So, so I got. Did, oh, go, go did ahead, you say you wouldn't get something smaller than thirty six? Just tying up that loose no, end for you, Dad. No, well, no, so, no. Yeah, no, definitely but, but, not. But but okay. I want to be able to do fairly small work too. I mean, I want to be able to cut out swords for my grandsons, like I was I was watching you do down there at the Good of the Land thing. Oh know? yeah, yeah. You know, so well, you tell know me what? what's what's the middle ground? What's the middle ground? This is what you need. This is what you need. You need the big thirty-six inch bandsaw because it's it's sexy as hell, and you need you need. And I tell everybody, everyone's gonna who knows me is gonna be like, "Not don't say this again." Get yourself a fourteen inch delta, anytime between like nineteen fifty and nineteen seven nineteen ninety five, and I got like I got I think I got eight of them now. The last batch I bought, I bought five of them at one time (laughs) from a guy. So you need a you need a delta. You need a you need a delta fourteen inch for like the fun stuff. Keep an eighth inch or a quarter inch blade on it. Uh-huh. You know, with like a, you know like a eight tooth. You know, for cutting quick. Right. One of, right. so one of my thirty six inch bandsaws, I bought it from a furniture shop in Louisville, Kentucky, and it came with a pile of blades. And I would have I I always ran it with a one inch blade on it. The other one that I had in possession before I got this one, but this one came with a bunch of three eighth inch blades, like wow. three eighth inch with like probably a six TPI. And so this is a furniture maker that was like making furniture legs and like Queen Anne shaped legs and stuff. And uh, so you got this bandsaw, which is completely unstallable. I said to a couple of years ago, I said, I I want every tool now that is, I want three phase unstallable tools. When a tool stalls, I want to just unplug it and drop in a garbage can. Yep. (laughs) So I want tools that will not stall even if my body part gets caught in it i want it to yeah. just make a clean cut <laughs> i don't want to have to yeah. yeah i don't want to have to back my finger out of some machine yeah. i want it to just yeah. be mushed off and like a walk away from yeah. it and <laughs> so this this bandsaw running these three eighth inch like six or eight tooth per inch blades i can cut through 14 inches and wow. make a tight radius you wow. know the blade will wander when you're cutting through like 12 or 13 the blade might wander if it's not thick enough. Yeah, yeah, it's gonna follow the grain. But uh, I've been able to make some crazy creative cuts with that, mm-hmm. and I wouldn't have thought to buy a three eighth inch blade that thin for that saw if it didn't come with it from the auction house with cool. the a whole box, literally like a like you know like an egg crate box that like they're yeah. like it's like sixteen inches tall, full of blades. So I got nice. all these brand new new old stock blades that probably were made in the seventies, but they all still yeah. have the label on them. That nice. was worth the price of admission, right there. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. What's funny is I so they I said. They go, what, what's your offer? And I was down working with the guys at First Build in Louisville, Kentucky. It's a makerspace. And we took a lunch break to go look at this auction that they knew of. And I was like, oh, my God. I said, I have this exact same band. So they're like, they go, well, put a bid in on it. If you win it, we'll, we'll pack it up and ship it for you. I'm like, really? They're like, yeah, don't worry. Put a bid in it. So I said, like, what? The guy goes, well, we, we, this is, we only have one other guy thinking. And, like, they didn't want to tell me. So I bid, I bid 600 bucks. The guys that were there that night at the auction, which was like four days later, five days later, they're like, nobody bid on it. You're the only bid that was on it. <laughs> Score. <laughs> so I yeah. got it. and anyway. yeah. That's amazing. And um, they packed it for me and shipped it up. And as a gift, they paid for the shipping, which I tried to offer the money. But I had done some stuff with them, and they were really happy with what I did. You know, just some, uh, you know, social media stuff and a couple of video collabs. And they were excited about the PR that they got through me. So as a mm-hmm. gift to me, they, they packed it in like 18 sheets of plywood. They yeah. didn't take the table off. I couldn't believe it. It showed up in this giant box, <laughs> all two by four. It was like it was like basically like a, a gardening shed, shed showed up on <laughs> on a pallet, yeah. Yeah, just like you would see. 
Yeah. And I got to, I still have pieces of that plywood in those two by fours. I'm still using. That's awesome. Yeah. So oh, thank you, first build. Yeah. So get, get one of each. Get a 14 inch and a 36 inch, and you'll be happy. All right. Noted. Noted. It's funny how often that happens with auctions. Like, I'm sure like 50 years ago, it's hard to get a good deal at an auction because that's just where you go to buy things. Now, like Dad, your power oh. hammer. Yeah. Auctions are like, and that's where we bought most of the good anvils we bought over the last five years have come from these auctions back east where nobody's bidding on them. Maybe there's yeah. like one or two guys there. It's just so funny. And whereas like eBay and the the more internet things that you would think would get a bargain on it, like are you know horrendous pricing. But anyways, these auctions are just wild. How these how that happens all the time. Like the, I don't I don't get it. I don't understand when like let's say a giant company goes out of business. I guess it's just a wash. They don't even care if they make money because they just, I, yeah. They just got to get, yeah. they got to get out of the, they got to get out yeah. of the, uh, That's the it. it's like a, so they gotta, the property's totally got to get turned back. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy because you can, like, I don't, there are some guys like Liam Hoffman that, you know, take full advantage of these things and he gets the most crazy equipment because he's willing to hop in a truck and drive wherever it is to get it. He's got all the equipment to unload, offload, which I'm yeah. slowly acquiring. I mean, I got myself a backhoe now and I got forklift. I got a nice new you know, reconditioned, really new, it looks new, but it's reconditioned from a, a forklift company. It's it's very trustworthy where I, I went from one that was like, you know, intermittently would go in reverse, <laughs> intermittently <laughs> would stop, intermittently yeah. would, would start, you know? So I went from like that, I went from one extreme to just like the way it happened with my last forklift. I bought it off of Facebook market. It happened to be from somebody that I knew when I saw it, I was like, Hey, I'll come get it. He's like, it's, it needs a little work. I was like, for three grand, it's a great forklift. So I got it. Mm -hmm. Then once uh, I tried to get it, we brought it in for service. The guys came, picked it up, and they they gave me a they gave me a sheet fifteen thousand dollars. Like this is what will, this is what it'll take to get this forklift trustworthy again. Yeah. And uh, new transmission and this and that and all new yeah. lines. And I was like, I go, well, what do you got for fifteen grand for sale? Yeah, go, you, you could keep that one. <laughs> Said, Tell yeah, me what you got. Yeah. And they go, well, we got this new one coming in. It'll be eighteen grand. I was like. All right, just to yeah. just put my name on it, bite the bullet, yeah. and just do it. Yeah. Um, how's your forklift project? I know it's been winter time. You're doing other things, but um, the first video was fun when that showed up. And how's that? What? How's that? Oh, the backhoe. Oh, the backhoe. Back sorry. Yeah, the backhoe. Yeah. Uh, nothing. It's just sitting. I mean, it it runs, and I got all new equipment. I got new lights for it, and my buddy yeah. and I were talking about of a plan of attack for trying to figure out where the electrical problems are. Yeah. And. It seems like a lot of the electrical problems are in the the fuse box because mm. there's almost no fuses in it. So, oh. and and I, I tried finding some manuals, but you know those old machines—they're like they're quite literally hand built by a team of guys yeah. like us. So, uh, not it's not like a automobile like right. these old, especially the ones like back in the days. I mean, I know you had Andrew Camerata on a couple months back, yeah. or a couple of years back, and. I can only like I, I got to ask pick his brain eventually, but yeah, bring him over. He he'll get that thing lickety split, you know. Just, yeah, but um, hydraulic engine, everything that's great. It's yeah. I replaced oh. one hose. It's just the electric. And then yeah. when I, I I flipped a switch once and a fan came on and it smelled like nothing but you know mouse pee. So I was like, that's the problem. Someone's like, every wire is yeah. probably chewed to hell. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, so if I can get. I actually got the wiper going, which I couldn't believe because I fiddled with one of the fuses. So the fuse yeah. box and the lights and everything are still just as is because I'm waiting to do that transformation for the video. So yeah. um, it's great. I, I, I love having a backhoe on the property because it, it, it's, it starts right up no matter what, how cold it is. I haven't moved it lately, but last time I needed it was to pull my car out of the muddy backyard because 
There's a yeah, couple of spots yeah. where there's like I got about four acres of grass, and occasionally mm. I drive onto it when right after rain or whatever, and it's like I always think I'm it's good, like, but it's, yeah. it's not good. Yeah, right up to a certain point. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. You you mentioned Buckin, and I'm gonna. He mentioned when Buckin was on that he had like the gift of gab at a young age or something like that, and he clearly does. The guy's so charismatic, so easy sure. to listen to. And I'm yeah. wondering with you, Jimmy, and Dad, you speak to this also, but. Have you always been good at communicating and teaching and talking, or is this something that has just gotten better after decades of doing it? You know, now that you've been, you know, talking to a camera for so long, or is that I've gotten better at it? I've gotten better at it, but there's it's a funny story. I'll tell you a funny story. You know, these moments that where you like you realize you you have a problem. I remember I was in the school. I was at the school learning architecture, and there was an orientation coming through. I was in my second year. And they said, uh, hey, uh, we have orientation. Does anybody want to talk about the architecture program? Jimmy, are you interested in talking about the?" I said, yeah, I'll do it. And <laughs> stupidly, I realized I had never spoken in front of an audience ever in my life. All of a sudden, yeah. I walk into this room in one of the other classrooms, and there's like 30 kids and their parents. So there's like 80 people in this room walking the facility, looking at all the different classrooms. You know, we had boat building, architecture class. We had auto mechanics, nursing, dental work. It was like, you know, old vocations. And I stood up in front of the class and like, uh, Jimmy, could you tell us about architecture's like? And like, that was my intro. And I was just like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. <laughs> I totally pulled the Ralph Cramden. I turned bright, felt my face get hot and red and I just froze up. I was like, architecture is fun. And I like got off this, the podium. <laughs> and I said, I remember thinking to myself, like, this can't be a hurdle that I have to go through every time. This has yeah. to be like to be like I for some weird reason I thought I just had the ability to do that and then I didn't because I just yeah. got locked up. <laughs> but hanging out, so going forward, hanging out with my brother who was a stand-up comedian. So it wasn't until maybe eight or nine years later that my brother decided to be a stand-up comedian, but hanging out with him and hanging out with all of his friends. He hung out with several comedians and just like just the gift of gab and just talking and mm-hmm learning and then what really got me out of my uh got me comfortable speaking is i decided to teach the class when they asked they invited me to teach in Mm -hmm. 93 that was my first year as a teacher so i remember my very first class it was like a flashback to that day talking in front of the students in high school and while i was a high school student at that time so now here i am graduated from college teaching my first college class two years three years after i got out of college and i spoke Fast, I rushed my way through the, the the very first orientation of my my own personal first class, and as time went on, I got more comfortable. I was able to find the subtleties in the conversation and interact with the students and have them mm-hmm. give me things to talk about and have them get me on tangents. And mm-hmm. soon, you know, by the end of that semester, I would talk until the bell rang, until it was time. But like they were all like standing, waiting around, waiting for me to finish my final thought while they were all standing at their desk, ready to go to the next class. And so I began to be able to fill three hours easily with just chit-chatting. And then the most important thing, like when we're talking is bouncing concepts off of each other and Mm. going back and forth. You know, we're all like-minded, so it's easy to talk, keep things going. I'm a... I, I'm a Jordan Peterson appreciator. I appreciate uh-huh. that guy for, for a lot right. of reasons. And right. I was listening to one of his podcasts and he was speaking to this point about about standing up and speaking and not just speaking, but having the intention of conveying something useful and something sure. that people might try to utilize, which brings right. its own pressure, right? Um, 
And he said, he threw out a number that he said, if you have about 10 times as much information at your disposal as you need in your presentation, you're not going to have any trouble. If you've only got got two or three times as much information at your disposal as you might need, you could easily really sort of collapse. And so what what I just heard you describe was gradually accumulating the information until it was figuratively speaking, at your fingertips. And in that yes. moment, suddenly it was no problem to hold forth. Yes. And, yes. and I've recognized that in my life too, that as, as you get something that approaches some sort of mastery on a particular topic, you can stand up and engage in a conversation and follow the tangents that people throw to you and hit the soft pitches and, yeah. and take a couple strikes and then get ready to hit the third ones that comes by. You know, it, it just gets so much easier when you have more to say. It's right? funny that you say that. And I never really, like, I guess I never really consciously knew that, but I always thought, for instance, well, I guess I did in a way you, you articulated a little bit differently than I thought of it. If I do a, if I got to go up and do a lecture, I'll put together a slideshow and it might be just phrases on, uh, you, you know, I forget what the mm-hmm. program is on, on Apple that you use to, uh, it's like a picture of a podium. I'm looking at it now. So keynote. whatever that keynote, right. So if I do a keynote setup, which is like a PowerPoint, I'll, if I have 15 slides and every slide is worthy of two minutes of conversation, there you go. I have mm. 30 minutes to talk, you know, yeah, or if it's yeah. 45, I make sure that I have two minutes per slide. And some are going to be 10 minutes. Some of them are going to provoke 15 minute, com- you know, or sorry, some are going to provoke a five minute dialogue. Some are going to provoke nothing. So mm-hmm. if I just keep it as an average. So when I do a PowerPoint, like I'm going to go do Workbench Con and uh, my buddy Patrick, the electrician, I was going to, I could talk about Workbench Con and talk about how the maker movement is, you know, so wonderful. And, and, and that's sort of inherent. I don't really need to go up there and like pat all of ourselves on the back. I'm going to talk about my shop and I'm going to bring Patrick up and we're going to do a Q&A about how he helped me design the electric for the shop. And he talked me into using three phase. And so I have a series of photographs and we're just going to go through probably 30 photographs of the shop in various states of manufacture or various states of, of, of construction and talk about the trough that we dug and, you know, to go to the, to the street pole and talking to the electrical company about putting in three phase and what the difference would be for the equipment. And, you know, so if I put together 35, 40 slides, we're going to have plenty to talk about. Yeah. So, and, and, and it's going to be potently informative, which is the most important thing. I've dad, I've I've edited my dad's videos a lot and listened to him um, teach and talk and I've so I've noticed this like trick even that you do dad and I've I've heard it from a lot of other people also where they will and this is like a hack it's like anybody can add this little technique and where it's you they you dad will sometimes say something twice for example mm-hmm. don't leave your uh, I don't know don't don't leave your OSB outside in the rain uncovered and then you'll say it again let me repeat that don't leave your OSB outside in the rain uncovered mm-hmm. and and that's such a, a helpful trick. That's an example of one where you're what you're actually doing is collecting your thoughts of where that's you want right. to go next. Or I've heard yeah. somebody say something like, they'll be like, okay, listen oh. up. This is super important what I'm going to say next. And like that's another trick that I heard I hear guys say from time <laughs> to time. And now that I've yeah. been paying attention to people speaking, I'm like, oh, you're actually it is important, but you yeah. just need a minute to think about it. That's what right. it is, and, yeah. Yeah. And, and like leaving dead space is fine yeah. also, but there's just these little tricks. That yeah. kind of like in the in the shop, Jimmy, like you do all the time. Like, oh, if you, if you just this and that, look at that trick, and now you do it. And, and these little tricks, even with communication, that make uh, someone better than they would be without the 
trick. Maybe a tool is a better word. Yeah. It's called rhetoric. It's called rhetoric, right? And, and we don't <laughs> think of that. And we, we yeah. don't study it in, in classes. But if you pay attention to the way people write and the way people speak, you're going to pick up on their rhetorical devices. There you and go. And then you have to then you have to just judge for yourself because there's a guy that I like. Uh, I like the way he writes, the way he thinks. He's a scholar. His name was Hugh Nibley. And his definition of rhetoric is making that which is true appear false and that which is false appear true by the use of words. Well, I try That's to right. avoid that particular application of rhetoric, <laughs> right? But there are a ton of rhetorical devices that, that are good to understand when we're consuming rhetoric and good to have at your disposal when you're creating yeah. it. Yeah, but it's also just holding attention and, and being able yeah. to communicate in a way that people are like listening and paying attention without just saying the same thing four different times because you get... Well, you know, there are a couple of tricks that I like that I use. It's, you know, it's just my own personal style. It's what I'm comfortable with. Humor, looking for something funny, you know, always having, uh, my brother has a comedian friend who passed away, but he said somebody always has to get hurt, like in the room. So if you pick, like I, when I was a teacher, I would always keep my, my students attention with humor. And there was always like the one kid that was kind of the, the kiss ass, but in a very likable, fun way. So I would always pick on the kiss ass. I'd be like, I, he would always be like, like the punching bag in a way. But I never insulted anybody. I never got myself me too yeah. or anything. But you know, sure. in a fun loving, you know, everybody's part of the joke kind of way. Yes. Yeah. You know, so yeah. I, there would and there would there was always a couple of students that just no matter what they said or how they said it, it was funny. Yeah. Because you know they just uh, like it's. You got 25 art students. You're going to find a couple of Jim Ignatowski's in there. You know, there's always going to be somebody that just makes the, you know, that, that lightens the mood because of either the way they look or the way they talk. And, and again, a hundred percent inclusive. You want everybody in on the joke, you know, every buddy in the spectrum is at art school and you want them all to feel inclusive. And I, you know, everybody's part of that joke, uh, whatever it is. And so I think it's really important when I'm in a room full of people to try and do the same thing. You know, and then be honest, you know, honest moments, telling stories, heartfelt, true stories. People like the stories that I tell, you know, I'm honored that people want to hear what I have to say and just really just try and find teachable moments, which is Scott, why I love you so much and why everybody loves you. Like the very first time I heard you talk, I was like. Is this the guy that's the host of the Mutual of Omaha? Like, I thought, <laughs> uh, uh, Mar- Marley Perkins. <laughs> Perkins. I was like, I just, oh, I, I go, oh, this is a guy that had a, this must be a guy. When I first heard you, I said, this must be a guy that is a professional television announcer that also is skillful in the shop that decided to just go on his own. Mm-hmm. Interesting, <laughs> because no, you have, <laughs> you uh, have such a, a you, you're such an orator, and the, the way you you way you say information and the way you talk about it, the passion you have for it, you could be talking about jellyfish, you could be talking about you know anything, and 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 you you would you would you would be successful at it. So when I first heard you, I'm like, oh, this is a guy that got outside the Hollywood system that's like now on his own, which is great. I love that. <laughs> And then as I got to know you, I'm like, no, this is just a guy that's got a great speaking voice and is passionate. A redneck carpenter, man. That's it. No, but I'm saying that's even better when I first got to know you. uh, When I I eventually got to know you and watched your videos, know you through your videos, I was like, oh, wow. Dad, you remember we were talking to these people about doing these videos with Ford a long time ago. We were really excited about it because they were going to pay us a lot of money. It didn't work out. But we were like, oh, man. And the lady who was like putting the deal together, Dad, I don't know if you remember this, but she's like, she was talking about Mike Rowe and how he's like just the king of you know, of speaking about tradesmen with respect. And she's like, 
but you're you're way better than Mike Rowe. And we were both kind of like, I mean, that's a little, I don't, he's, yeah. and she's like, no, you're way better. And we're kind of like, okay. And she's like, no, no, because you've actually worked in the trades for a <laughs> year. And I was kind of, that's when I kind of clicked. I was like, oh yeah, Mike Rowe has been a TV guy, which is really great yeah. also, but yeah. he was doing TV shows instead of actually. Working. So that, yeah, that, that really is, you know, to her that, that stood, stood out as like, no question, like that's better. And huh. for me, I didn't jump to that thought right away. Any comments on this, Dad? Before we move on, oh, I don't know. I, I, I actually no. I probably don't have any comments, <laughs> but I will. I will. <laughs> I will say that that uh, I grew up a, a musician, sort of a low level Dixieland jazz musician. Played pro, semi pro for a while. And Kelly and I've been playing around. What, what do you play? Music. What is your I instrument? Play, I play the trombone, Dixieland jazz tailgate trombone. And two years no ago, kidding. I bought it. I bought a doghouse bass because my my kids all play guitars and fiddles now, and I was useless on a trombone, right? So, I bought a bought a bass, and I've been learning that. And then, uh, true confession, about a week ago, I bought a, a C tuba because I thought, well, ah, that's know, great. I, I like a bass line. I'm a low brass guy, so so I, I spent some time in front of audiences and with a microphone on my face, singing and right. playing, and so that. There's a type of fearlessness that you have to learn by failing in front of a large number of people. Sure, times, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. And so and so this this is kind of a convergence thing. Now when I'm it's old funny. Man, all it, of a sudden it comes around. That's really funny because it gets back to you know again I, I live this parallel life next to all these comedians. I just was on the phone with my brother for two hours before I, Nate. When I realized we had a break, a three hour break, I was going to go back in the shop, and then my brother called me and and I just <laughs> been on the phone. Me and my brother right. just talking about comedy and you know what we always talk about just fun stuff yeah. but um the idea of bombing yeah mm-hmm. you know you bomb mm-hmm. your ass off enough times yeah. you become fearless and yeah, you're like yeah. well if i bomb this show i at least i know i'm not gonna die or you know whatever yes. the, you know like you're not gonna physically die so you're gonna yeah, live right you gotta find a laugh in there somewhere and you know you'll lighten the mood and you'll get off stage and then the next yeah it's like nothing up. could be more embarrassing <laughs> than that and so once you experience it <laughs> I think for me, when I I did wrestling in high school, I was really terrible. And I, I know there's at least two like home wrestling meets where I got pinned. Like our school had a spotlight over the mat. Pretty terrible. And so it was like kind of like bombing in front of the whole school, except you're wearing like sure. a swimsuit, basically. Um, anyways, you're basically fearless. Um, so, yeah. Jimmy, it's getting late. I got one more topic I really am wanting yeah. to hear your uh, two cents on. And that is you're really good at branding and your whole everything about your videos yeah. and your everything you make is just so on brand. And I'm wondering if you ever feel constrained by that? Cause I know what we do. And I'll, and just as one example for us, we've started mm-hmm. using, we've always used like, you know, a, acoustic and bluegrassy and really Americana kind of music. Sure. It, it works it. great in our videos. And I felt for like the last year, like, Oh man, I'd love to use some other kind of music, but I feel personally like, well, we can't cause this is our brand. And one or two times I tried and, and the audience is like, Turn that. What is that? That is. Yeah, right. You know, they were not into it. So anyways, yeah. I'm wondering what, I'm wondering if you feel anything like that, not just with edits, but maybe even the projects you make. Do you ever feel well, like, you know, you like I, I, I think, that? Um, no, you know, I, I, I think, which is why, like, I don't have like, I, I, yeah, I got close to 2 million subscribers, but some of my contemporaries have like four and 5 million subscribers. I think, and that's the reason why I'm about to say is this is the reason why I think that my subscriber base doesn't grow as fast as some of my contemporaries is because people kind of side eye me all the time. They're like, I'm not really sure what to make of this guy. You know, one minute he's this, one minute he's that. And so I, I think part of my branding is being footloose and fancy free and being able to kind of turn on a dime. And, you know, for, for instance, the other day, Whenever I run the CNC machine on camera, it's boring. 
You can't yeah. run the sound because it's just, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't get yeah. any more dynamic than that. And so I always have to put music over the CNC. A couple of weeks ago, I made a sign and I, I for the CNC, for the physical, uh, for the router CNC, I, I played some uh, 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 um, bluegrass, mm-hmm. you know, just like some open source bluegrass, which sounded great. I was like, wow, this really works well with this machine moving it fast forward. Maybe I'll use that every time. And so... Then the other day I did a where a laser cut. I had to show part of the process. Laser cut is also it's even more boring than CNC watching, but you get to see the transmission. So I was like I, I go into the YouTube library music and I just hit play. And I was like, you know what? Let me t- I type in like a theme. I typed in uh, dramatic and I, I listened to like the first eight, no more than like four seconds of the beginning of each one of these songs. And if yeah. it doesn't grab me in four seconds, I turn it off and go to the yeah. next one. Yeah, and if I, it's like, Ooh, I turn it right off. If it's like yep. the, and then the, I said, you know what? Let me get this a little bit more. Let me, so I typed in drum and this is all in the YouTube creative studio. And, and I just picked up this bongo song. I used it. I had heard, I used it once a long time ago, but I didn't know what the name of it was. And when it came up again, I'm like, ah, perfect. And so I put that in. So getting to the bigger point, one comment is bongos. Really? It was one of the comments in the video. And then like three comments down is like, I love this bongo music. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so yeah, you can't exactly. please everybody. So, you, you know, like where you guys feel like you might be kind of stuck in, in a little bit of a box with the Americana, you know, kind of like grassroots vibe, but Scott, that's, that's, you know, that's, that's, it's it, the tone of your voice says that. Like the yeah. tone of your voice is like bluegrass Americana music and mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong with it, but right. your audience is kind of grown to expect that where my audience will be like, okay, I guess he's using music this week, whatever, but you know, whatever. <laughs> or, you know, it's like kind of a pleasant surprise, Yeah. but you know, I always tell people when, you, when you're in the, like when you're in the Harbor and you're getting all your friends commenting on your videos, like, it's it's nice because everyone's like oh, that's great. It's like having all your family come to like your open mic comedy show, which I've seen a million mm-hmm. times. You know, everyone's gonna laugh. Yeah. But when you're on, when you're in the the depth of the ocean and you're having people like, why 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 did YouTube suggest this to me? That's yeah. when you're gonna get the crazy comments and like that's sure. you're gonna get like, really? That's how you hold a saw? You're out of your mind. Yeah. You know, like yeah yeah. yeah, yeah <laughs> so yeah. I always say, you know, that's when you're gonna really have success and. And that's when you're going to get the crazy comments and the people that are like doubting everything you do is when you're in the deepest part of the ocean. Yeah. Because that's when you're going to get like the fish that have no eyes that, that have been like, what the hell's going <laughs> yeah. on here? You know? As opposed to all the people you're comfortable and all like the fish that you know that you're going to get when you stick your rod in the ground. That's yeah, a crazy yeah. metaphor that I always say. Yeah, but, but the metaphor is that. The, the metaphor is apt. The metaphor is apt because ships aren't made to stay in the harbor, man. You know, right. ships are made to go out there and take their chances. You know, where the wind blows. That's cool. Yeah. That's a good. That's a good way. Yeah. But no, and, go ahead. Oh well, we've done. I, you know, I said music, and that's only a part of what I'm thinking about. But even just like topics of videos, and you probably know, it's kind of disappointing actually how you can make a video that's like a vlog and like a, a with a strong title that somebody's interested. Like if we made a video tomorrow that was like that was like. Um, dad and you, the title was like the part of my life. I didn't, I've never told anybody something like that. And it's just right. like vloggy, nothing about building at all. Like it would get like 10 times as many views as mm-hmm. some of the video. And in some ways that's kind of disappointing. It's yeah. also like, I don't know. I don't know how to feel about it. You've done really well. Just like kind of sticking to your thing, no matter what it's easy well, to like, 
feel the pandemic temptation, but we've we've done okay. We we do other vlogs and mail videos, and you do as well. You go to conventions and film, so we I think we all are doing okay at I was keeping doing the brand vlogs. open. But. Yeah, I was doing vlogs for a while. I did about ninety vlogs, and I I I always say they're not done. I just have taken a break from them. Um, yeah. And in between, I'll do like leatherworking videos, which never do great. Yeah, but they're sponsored, so I get paid well. But then there's you know, there's a, anytime I do like a blacksmithy kind of experimental thing, those tend to do well, you know, lately my, like, I don't know what, like the, the trailer video did well, like the, the part one of me building the trailer from scratch yeah. that did 700,000 views. That's like my most viewed recent video within the last maybe year or half a year. But uh, now it's just, it's just a total crapshoot. You know, yeah. there's so much competition. You know, I, I used to break a hundred thousand in, in a day, every single time I posted now, I'll break a hundred thousand in a week, you know, Mm -hmm. and, but at the same time, and I've said this in my own podcast recently, I'm producing music. Every video I make is just another song and that could stand alone, no matter where it goes, you know, whether it ends up, you know, there's a a Roku channel that's going to be announced soon. I'm afraid to say it because I might get in trouble, but you know, old content is going to this Roku channel by a popular Mm -hmm. theme company that we all know. Um, They're going to announce it in the first week of February. So this Roku channel uh, has harvested videos from several makers. They had an opportunity to put this personal channel together, and so they harvested makers. Are we, did they ever reach out to you guys? Are you um, guys going to be on a special? We've had a few of them <laughs> reach out, and it's one of the things that we just couldn't deal with at the moment. We probably gave them. A, oh, okay. I, I don't know. I remember somebody. We, we I even had a call with somebody about it, and at the time, we just didn't have the room to figure it yeah. out. But no, yeah. we're not so, a part of this one. Oh, anyway, so and then, you know, I'm on Facebook with a company called Jelly Smack. They take my old videos and put them on there. So like I said, so if YouTube right now is the platform that's like waning, you know, particularly for makers or for me and a couple mm-hmm. of my contemporaries, um, it, it doesn't it's it's not, I, I, I've had a 10 year run on YouTube and I did pretty good. Yeah. And it's opened up so many doors for me and so many friendships and some of my closest friends have come to me in the last 10 years. Yeah. I've gotten so yeah. much more than just monetary out of it. And, you know, that's, that's what I got to remember. Yeah. And, you know, if, if YouTube starts to die for me personally, you know, there's so many other opportunities. Uh, last year, in March last year, Walmart called me and said, Hey, can we put some of your products in our store? I'm like, uh, yeah, sure. So my products wow. are going to be in Walmart going into yeah. the middle of February. And that's because awesome. of YouTube, because, you know, so all like yeah. just being out there and presenting yourself, even people say to me all the time, like, what, what can I do? That's any different than what all you guys have done. I'm like, you know, it's just like the way your voice is different than my voice. So is your mm-hmm. skills, your techniques, the things that are, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that that are regular for you are going to be a learning moment for anybody else. So I think mm-hmm. even if you if you go into it and they're like, oh, well, I'm not going to get a million, a million views. Like you just might. You never know. Yeah. And if you guys know Chris Cash, uh, Chris Cash, know. Chris Cash, no, Mount Phillips Metalworks, Chris Cash. He's got one YouTube video that hit a million views. It's got one. He's got one. He's like, I don't do YouTube. He's always jokes about, you know, <laughs> I don't care about YouTube. He's like an Instagrammer. He put up huh. one YouTube video, blacksmithing a black a, a bottle opener. It got, it's probably at 5 million views now. This is a couple of years ago. He's got wow. one video on his channel. It's got 5 million <laughs> views. That's three minutes long. He's got so perfect that, record. <laughs> that, it, yeah, that's, it just shows you that like everybody's got something to say, you know, and sometimes yeah. – you know, it, it just might not be the success that you see in other people immediately, but everything takes time to build. And it's the opportunities mm-hmm. that you take. Like my channel started popping when I started working with Make Magazine in you know, 2013. 
And that's mm-hmm. when, you know, I was doing the channel for over a year and a half before that. And I was just bumping along. But then when I started working for Make Magazine, my videos are on their channel and my channel. And everyone's like, who's this guy? So I started getting traffic from them. And then that just grew from there. Yeah. But, Amazing. You know, any, you any, won't uh, know until you get in there. You know, you won't know yeah. until you get in there. And in some ways, it almost increases the, like, um, like I mentioned a vlog, Dad. Like if we did a vlog, you know, with some personal story. Uh, no, nobody else can make that. A lot of people can make a bottle opener and probably yeah. do a better job than we could in every aspect of the project. Um, nobody else could make a vlog about something you learned in your life, dad, that you want to share. And same with you, Jim, you guys yeah. both had so many things that I, that word saturated comes up. I've heard it in like every business I've been involved with. There's been like a point where people around me are like, oh, that's starting to get saturated and people quit. And I don't know. I don't really know if I understand that concept very well. Cause like in a creative thing, like YouTube or just creating things out of thin air, how, how could it be saturated when there's like an unlimited, uh, world of creativity to, to make things that nobody else has done or say things nobody else has said. So no, you know, know. Well, like when you've had like a rich experience, like I, like I've been able to build up and, and Scott and, and how you guys have gotten, you could make a 10 minute video about pulling nails. Right. Because, you you know, you've pulled so many nails in your life that yeah. this goes back to the other day. I walked into a shop. This guy, These contractors are going to help build the rest of my barn. And one of his new guys was pulling nails in the background. And I was watching him pull nails. And I had to bite my tongue 15 times <laughs> to say there's 50 easier ways of pulling those nails <laughs> than you're doing now. He's literally like yanking the top of the hammer from the very yeah, – like in yeah, the yeah. – the nails at the tip of the fork, and he's just like bang, 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 bang. I'm like, like you can pull every one of, you can pull every one of those nails without stressing or making sounds. But I had to bite my tongue, and then I thought to myself, "That's a video teaching people how to pull nails correctly." You're right. You're right. And that's so. I'm saying, with our girth of experience, yeah, we can do a broad video about building a shed, but we could also do it the same length type of video that might be 10 minutes long about mm-hmm. pulling nails or picking the right screwdriver tip. And the experience of, you know, using, using these tools and how to use them. So, yeah, that's very, very interesting, Jimmy. Well, I tell you what, it's been fun for us to kind of watch you from a distance and say that, 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 that guy has figured something out here and watch some of your videos and kind of try to dissect from a distance and analyze, you know, camera angles and when you decide to talk and when you decide not to talk and the projects you bring, not to mention the interest that I have as a, so you are an artist slash maker, and I am a construction geek slash maker with sure. some with some artistic impulses. Okay, so sure. we, we but we, we use similar tools or the same tools to different outcomes. But it was just really interesting to to kind of watch how what portion of your content was art driven and what portion of your content was craft driven and what sure. portion of it was just work driven and tool appreciation. So. Thanks for the good example, man. And and oh, thanks thank for you. being gr- gracious at those two um, festivals that I, or one that I saw you at in Texas yeah. down there at that Good of the Land. Yeah. And you were very gracious, very accommodating. I've still got your ice pick. It's a very oh, cool thing. I have used I, it for, I, I, Go ahead. I was going to say, I was, when I saw you there, I, I got nervous. And when you knew who I was, I was so, I was so honored that you knew who I was. Because <laughs> I knew who you man. were right away. Oh, man. I was like, well, I tell, oh, man, I tell you what, I'm going, man, Jimmy Dresden's got at least four times as many subs as we've got. I wonder if he's <laughs> even seen one of our videos. <laughs> that was interesting. No, that good of oh. the land, you know, unfortunately that was like the last one there was because COVID kicked in a few months later. But that was such a great event because there was so many 
you know, like I, I, I'm fortunate enough to be in the woodworking world, you know, the, uh, the, uh, the machinist world and the antique, you know, the antique restoration world and mm-hmm. the good of the land, uh, all the festivals are great, but I really enjoyed that one because it was a yeah, really, great. it was like, you know, you, a bomb and, you know, Andrew and Eric, you know, and, and the fun. It was just so many like good hearted people with a great like-minded interest of just, you know, saving old iron. And it was a good one. And and I, you know, I'm looking forward to getting to the next one if there is going to be another one soon. Yeah. I'm sure it's only a matter of time that, that those were a huge success and everybody's interest in all these things has only grown. And you know, your guys' podcast, in fact, we should say that if you guys made it to the end, Jimmy's got two podcasts. They're both amazing. I love how conversational and natural. And I feel like people really get a great look at who you guys are uh, in the podcast from your videos. I think it's an amazing uh, companion to the content you guys all make. So check those out. We probably yeah. mentioned a dozen other people in this conversation. So we'll put all these links in the description cool. as well here. And um, yeah, Jimmy, thanks again for coming on. And um, sure, guys, thank you for any- having me. I was honored when I saw it was from you guys. Like, oh man. It's gonna be well, a good one. Yeah, well, we'll keep doing this regularly. This is a lot more. Uh, I don't know. It's like it's a lot more relaxing and helpful to have conversations like this with people, fellow travelers who are dealing with some of the same like um, puzzles that we are. That it's it's yeah. always kind of energizing to speak with somebody. A lot of people we know are kind of like, what What are you guys even doing? What How's your Facebook yeah. business? And we're like, oh, not Facebook. <laughs> and so it's nice to, it's nice when you meet someone who kind of gets it, you know? Really? Yeah. Well, it. you know, at the end of the day, like we, you, we still have to create real, like when you were saying like how many, the, the you got to make real projects for real clients. And that's one thing I never want to let go, like the trailer project, for yeah. instance. And, you know, I, I always have, you know, some interior design thing to do for somebody that's real. And, you know, that, that kind of keeps my feet on the ground. Because, you know, if this fantasy world of like shooting yourself, having fun in the shop should ever go away, I still have that. And, you know, I could still (laughs) make products. I could still build, uh, you know, I say now where I used to do interior design and I would build built-ins and stuff. I say now I I, I only build things I could drop off. I'm Mm, not going to, I'm not going to build you a built-in and then have it go into the casing molding or anything. From now on, I just build things I could drop off. If it's a cabinet, if it has to be hung on the wall, I'll build steel legs and you could. Probably <laughs> close up. to the wall. Yeah, it's gonna. I'm not gonna Amen. hang anything on the wall. So that's that's, uh, just that's smart. It's just it's too complicated. I don't want to park my tools at anybody's house ever again. <laughs> well, that's cool. All right, everybody. Well, thanks for joining us on the conversation, and we'll thank catch you all both. next time. Thanks, Jimmy. Jimmy. Thanks so much. Thanks, so thank much. you, brother. Thank you.